Sunday morning, and we are we've been talking about why Israel was scattered all over the world, why they uh, why they've been fighting these wars over there in the Middle East here at the end of time, and we're talking about while they were a nation, everything that happened in Israel before their own nation was looking forward to their becoming a nation. This was the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. And his 12 sons, his name was changed to Israel in Genesis, the 32nd chapter. When he wrestled with the angel of the Lord, and the angel said, What is your name? And he said, Jacob, or Yaakov, as the way it's pronounced. It means heel catcher, one who trips people up. And the angel said, from now on, your name will not be called Jacob. It will be called Yisrael, or to prevail with God. Now, and his 12 sons became the nation of Israel. And he tells them, and of course, his 11th son with Joseph was carried into Captive or sold into captivity by his jealous brothers. Long story I won't go into. You know the story. And then when Joseph dies at the end of Genesis, he dies in that last chapter of Genesis, the 51st chapter. And not until Exodus, the first chapter, is Israel put into bondage. And then they are in bondage until the 12th chapter. That's the last of, of 10 plagues that the 10th plague was the death of the firstborn, or that was called the Passover. And then they leave Egypt. And as they leave Egypt, they come to Mount Sinai in Exodus, the uh, 20th chapter, Moses comes down from the mountain with the law of commandments written on tables of stone. And then they're making their way through Leviticus and Numbers. Numbers is a very interesting book. Numbers is not just about numbers. It's actually about Israel. Let me see if I've got a map here. It's about Israel. Here is the Sinai Peninsula here. And down in the bottom of the Sinai Peninsula is Sinai. And Numbers is about the 40 years in the wilderness that they're going through the wilderness. You need to really read the book of Numbers. That will tell you the adventures they had in the wilderness and Moses uh, uh, murmuring against God and the people murmuring against Moses and Moses getting upset at the people. And all the adventures they had are in the book of Numbers. And then Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy comes from duo and nomos. Duo means second. Second. Nomos is the Greek word law. It means the second law or the the Jews had to have two witnesses to everything that happened legally to them. And so when they're here leaving, when they're leaving Sinai in the book of Numbers, God tells them, when you get over here to the promised land and you get into Joshua and Judges, when you go into the land to possess the land that I have given to Abraham back here, 
back here in, well, actually back here in Genesis. I gave Abraham the land in Genesis 17. When you get into that land, if you go after any other gods, I will send four judgments. And that will be the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and the beast. The beast will be Babylon, Persia, Greece, and then Rome. Much to say about that. Not going to dwell on that this morning. The sword, the famine, the pestilence. He would send them over and over. The beast would be the last judgment. And that would be to scatter Israel throughout the earth. That was Babylon. The Babylonian lion, the Persian bear, the Grecian leopard. And the beast with iron teeth would be Rome. And uh, then they would be scattered. Then the Bible speaks at the end of time when you read that Exodus, not Exodus, Ezekiel starts with an E. Ezekiel, the 37th chapter, that's the valley of dry bones. The Bible says that God at the end of time will cause Israel back into one nation. They were split into two nations under under uh, Solomon because Solomon allowed his 700 wives and 300 concubines to go after these idol gods. So because of that, God splits the kingdom into northern Israel, which is the 10 northern tribes, 10 northern tribes, northern tribes, led by Ephraim, the second-born son of Joseph, actually led by Joseph, but the Ephraims did all the speaking for northern Israel. And northern Israel had other names, Samaria, Israel, uh, these other names that they went by, Joseph and Ephraim. And then you had, they had southern Judah. Well, Judah and northern Israel, Judah, southern Judah was the name of the southern kingdom, and it was comprised of Judah and Benjamin. Well, they kept going after all the time they were a nation. They kept going after these gods. And God kept saying, I will scatter you. You can look up the word scatter about a hundred times in the Old Testament. Scatter or scattereth. The Bible speaks of Israel being scattered by the beast. We're talking about that they were scattered because they kept going after these other gods. Little G-O-D-S. The other gods, Baal and the Grove and Shemosh and Molech and Isis and Osiris and all the gods of Egypt and the gods of all of the Ammonites and the, and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites, all these ites gods, they kept going after them. Well, God says, I'm going to scatter you until I clean up your minds. And in that time period, we're talking about the scattering of Israel in the Old Testament. We went through, we went through the scattering of northern Israel. That happened in 732 to 722 B.C. That was the Assyrians that scattered northern Israel. Assyria was northern Babylon. Uh, Jim, I thought you said it was Babylon that scattered them. Assyria was considered to be northern Babylon. And they scattered the, the Assyrian kings, uh, some famous men, Shalmaneser, Tiglath-Pileser, Sennacherib. They scattered 
northern Israel. We went through that in the 15th through the 17th chapter of Second Kings. We're going to look at southern Judah being scattered today. I want us to go over to to the 25th chapter of Second Kings, and you will, will before I get to that, I got one other king to bring out. We got to Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was one of the most righteous kings that ever lived in Israel. Hezekiah. He was righteous. His prophet was Isaiah. Boy, what a couple. You can't get a more righteous than Isaiah and Hezekiah. And then Hezekiah had a son named Manasseh. And God said, because of the wickedness of Manasseh in that 21st chapter of Second Kings, he passed his children through the fire. He raised up enchantments. He raised up, some say that he raised up a tree goddess in the temple. And he did more evil than any king before him or after him. Nobody had ever done the evil. Now, this is not the same Manasseh as Joseph's firstborn. That was long before this, hundreds of years before this. Manasseh, this king, was godless. Or was he? Well, let me go ahead and read some of this in the 21st chapter. I read it last week. But the Bible says that he just pulled away from God. His mother was Hephzibah in that first verse of the 21st chapter. She was queen mother. And he was only 12 years old in that first verse when he began to reign. Well, if he was 12 years old when he began to reign, Hezekiah was probably dead in all probability at this point. And if Hezekiah is dead... Then Hephzibah, his mother, gives him advice on what he needs to do ruling as king. So evidently, she gave him some terrible advice and didn't correct him. Here in verse 3 of chapter 21, he built up again the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. Hezekiah destroyed the high places. And he the high places were the hills outside of a city where they kept their tree goddesses, their grove goddesses. When I think of high places, I think of the sixth chapter of Ephesians. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness, in high places against the rulers of the darkness of this world. What ruled the darkness was the moon. Babylon was moon worshipers. Their high places where they kept their gods outside the city. God intentionally had Paul write these words down to remind the people of what they had been into in the Old Testament. Now, let's get back here to the third verse of the 21st chapter. For he built up again the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed, and he rid up altars for Baal, 
made a grove, as did Ahab, king of Israel, and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. He built altars in the house of the Lord, inside the temple. He built altars to these gods, of which the Lord said in Jerusalem, Will I put my name? You will not do that into my house. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven, for the gods of the heavens, Jupiter, Venus, who knows how many others. In the two courts of the house of the Lord. The house of the Lord is, if you have the, the temple, you got the temple inside this, inside here, and you got it divided up. They had a enclosed area for the temple. The Ark of the Covenant in there, the candlesticks, the table of showbread, table of showbread, the altar of incense. They had the brazen sea and the altar that they offered all their own offerings on. And evidently, in these precincts, he set up altars to these gods. And he made his son to pass through the fire. When they did that, they would kill their children. And observed times and used enchantments and dealt with familiar spirits. Lord, have mercy. Remember the word familiar spirit is the word O-W-B. And it means bottle. That's what it means. They took the stomach of a goat, cut it out of a goat, dried it out, sewed up one end, sewed up one end, took the goat's stomach, kept the other end with a stopper on it, had a strap they could carry it around their neck to carry their juices or their waters or whatever. And they and they got involved, they learned ventriloquism, and they got involved in throwing their voice and claiming they were talking to people's ancestors. The reason that it was against God's law to go after familiar spirits, they were cheating the people out of their money pretending. When they translated the the Old Testament Hebrew around 200 B.C. into what is called the Septuagint. S-E-P-T-U-A-G-I-N-T. When you see L-X-X, that stands for Septuagint. They had 70 translators. LXX is 70 in Roman numerals. When the translators, which were brilliant Hebrew scholars and brilliant Greek scholars, it was around 200 B.C. Alexander the Great, who died around 318 B.C., he had given all the world all of its Greek languages so and its gloss and its dialect. So about 300, they said, we need to translate the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek. And the best scholars will tell you this is one of the very best translations ever done. Now, what they did when they translated familiar spirit, these guys... Were, genius, were brilliant that translated it. They got the best scholars in the world to translate it. 
And they translated that word, familiar spirit, instead of ob. They translated E-N-G-A-S-T-R-O-M-U-T-H-O-S. In gastromuthos is a construction of N, gastro, and muthos. These great scholars said familiar spirits was a myth within the gastro, the stomach. That's what it was. Now, that's what he was involved in. It was mythology. It wasn't true. God says, if you con these people out of their money, they're doing the same thing. Well, I started to say some fortune teller down here on Gallatin Road in Madison's doing. They're doing the same thing Kenneth Copeland's doing at TVN, telling people that they're going to make them rich if they give them their money. Now, let's get back to this. Uh, familiar spirits, what verse was I in? Oh, down in verse 6. They dealt with familiar spirits, wizards. This is all a righteous man of God, or supposed to be Manasseh, and his father was one of the most righteous people that ever lived. And he wrought much wickedness in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And he set a graven image of the grove that he had made in the house of God, in the temple. Of which the Lord said to David and to Solomon, his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of the tribes of Israel, will I put my name forever. Neither will I make the feet of Israel move any more out of the land which I gave their fathers, only under one condition, if they will observe to do according to all that I have commanded them. That's the only way that you can get by with not being moved out of this land. Well, they're not going to do that. And because of Manasseh's wickedness, God says this is the most wicked man. He is, this is the icing uh, with the cherry on the top of the icing of the cake. This is the worst it can get in Israel. This is a king, a descendant of Judah. The the scepter will not depart from Judah. And according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. And then he tells you just how evil Manasseh was. But they hearkened not, and Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than did the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the children of Israel. More than the Ammonites, more than the Perizzites, more than the Hittites, more than the Canaanites, Manasseh did more evil than all of them put together. And the Lord spake by his servants, the prophets, saying, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, had done these abominations, here's what I'm going to do. He has really just put it on the top for me. I'm not putting up with any more. And hath done wickedly above all the Amorites. Sometimes the word Amorites was used to denote all those different ite tribes. The Perizzites, the Hittites, and so forth. 
which were before him and hath made Judah also to sin with his idols. Therefore, here's what I'm going to do. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such evil upon Jerusalem and Judah that whosoever heareth it, both his ears shall tingle. That was a saying among the Jews. Man, I'm going to frighten you half to death. And I will stretch over Samaria the line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab. A plummet was a plumb line. He's saying, I'm going to measure out to southern Judah was I measured out to northern Israel. I had them carried away into captivity. And that's what this man Manasseh, God says, he has done it for Israel. No more. That's going to be over. And I will wipe Jerusalem as a man wipeth the dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. I'm going to take a dish rag and his name will be Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to come in and wipe Jerusalem clean as a man wipes the plate. And I will forsake the remnant of mine inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies. And they shall... They shall become a prey and a spoil to all their enemies. And when when Nebuchadnezzar comes in, there's going to be no hope for him. And he's coming. Now, there's a verse over here. When you get into the next chapter, at the end of this chapter, you see Manasseh's son, Ammon. And he's not much better than his father, Manasseh. And Ammon has a son... And his name is Josiah. He turns out to be one of the most righteous kings that ever lived. Also, he's like his father, his grandfather. You had Manasseh, and yet his grandfather, Hezekiah. He's going to have the accolade of Hezekiah that there was not a righteous, more righteous king than him or his grandfather. But here's an interesting thing. When I first read this, I was in my 20s somewhere back then. I thought, God needs to kill that Manasseh and get rid of him. Well, what Manasseh is showing you is just how evil you and I can be because he was one of God's elect. You don't find out till you get over to Second Chronicles, the twenty-third, the thirty-third chapter. Go to Second Chronicles, the thirty-third. Now, this is why you need to read all accounts of these men. Second Chronicles, the thirty-third chapter. It says in the first verse, it says the same thing it says in the first verse of the twenty-first chapter of Second Kings. Manasseh was twelve years old when he began to reign, but it goes in here. And let's go down to the 10th verse. And the Lord spake to Manasseh. This is Second Chronicles account. If you just read Second Kings account, you're going to think, hope God sends that guy to hell one day. But this shows you just how wicked we can be and how much we can fall away. And the Lord spake to Manasseh and to his people, but they would not hearken. Wherefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the hosts of the king of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him with fetters 
and carried Manasseh away to Babylon. And when he was in affliction, he was in Babylon being afflicted, he besought the Lord his God. Wow! <laughs> that needs to be in flashing lights. He besought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. Wow! Isn't that something? And prayed unto him, and he was entreated of him, and heard his supplication, and brought him again to Jerusalem, into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord, he was God. Shows you how far away from God a believer can get. He can do the worst things. Have you been there? I've been there. Now after this he built a wall without the city of David and the west side of Gihon and the valley even to the entering end of the fish gate. The fish gate was on the west side of, of Jerusalem and that would be normal because the west side would be toward the Mediterranean when they were bringing the fish in from the Mediterranean. And Thomas about Ophel and raised it up a great height and put captains of the war in all the fenced cities of Judah. And he took away the strange gods and the idol out of the house of the Lord that he had erected and put up. Isn't that amazing? And all the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem and cast them out of the city and he repaired the altar of the Lord you wouldn't believe a man that could do the evil that he did over there in Second Kings could do this. He's really repenting. Reminds me of me. And sacrificed their own peace offerings and thank offerings and commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. Nevertheless, the people did sacrifice still in the high places. Yet, unto the Lord their God only. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and his prayer unto his God and the words of the seers that spake to him in the name of the Lord God of Israel, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel. We read them over there in Second Kings, the 21st chapter. And his prayer also and how God was entreated of him and all his sins and his trespass and the places wherein he built high places and set up groves and graven images before he was humbled, before God struck him down in Babylon. He had to be carried away into captivity before he got his heart right. Behold, they're written among the sayings of the seers. And Manasseh slept with his fathers, and they buried him in his own house. And Ammon his son reigned in his stead. When I go look at Ammon, he was very insignificant. He just had a wicked heart. What I'm going to do is go to the next king in line. Go to Josiah. Let's go back over here to Second Kings. The 22nd chapter. I don't know what else to do other than read this to you and explain what it's saying. Now, 22nd chapter of Second Kings. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, so he needed a queen mother, too, to tell him what to do, and she didn't give him much good advice. 
began to reign, and he reigned thirty and one years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jedida, the Jedida, the daughter of Adiah of Boscath. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Well, he didn't do it at first. He did it after he was converted. Now let's keep reading. And walked in all the way of David his father, and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. And it came to pass in the eighteenth year of King Josiah that the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of Ashulam, the scribe, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go to Hilkiah the high priest. Now Hilkiah has to be a descendant of Aaron. All high priests have to be descendants of Aaron. So he's the high priest. His lineage goes all the way back to Aaron. Moses' older brother, three years older than Moses. Go to Hilkiah the high priest that he may sum the silver which is brought into the house of the Lord. They had tribute they would charge people like we have taxes and they were going to have to repair the house of the Lord. Why do you think they're going to have to repair the house of the Lord? Because of the two previous kings. Because of Manasseh and Amnon. They wasn't keeping up the house of God. They were devastating the house of God. So the house, over 60 or 70 years that they were kings, the house is deteriorated. So they're having to tax the people and fix the house. But while they're fixing the house, Hilkiah discovers something. They have forgotten the law of God due to the previous kings. They've forgotten it. Didn't even know what it was about. It's very, very revealing when Josiah finds out about this thing they find in the house. And let them deliver it unto the hand of the doers of the work. They're repairing the house because of the previous kings. And have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And let them give it to the doers of the work, which is the house of the Lord, to repair the breaches of the house. Well, it's been sitting there in ruins all the time that Messiah, uh, not Messiah, that Manasseh and Ammon were the kings. It's just been sitting. If you don't put a roof on your house in 20 years, it's going to be coming off and curling up, isn't it? Oh, guess what's happening to the house of God? It's doing the same thing. Unto carpenters and builders and masons and buy timbers and hewn stone to repair the house. Howbeit there was no reckoning made with them of the money that was delivered into their hand because they dealt faithfully. And Hilkiah the high priest said unto Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law of the house of the Lord. I found this law that we're supposed to be living by, but we're not because of the two previous kings. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan the scribe, and he read it. And Shaphan the scribe came to the king. Who's the king? Josiah. And brought the king word again and said, Thy servants have gathered the money that was found in the house, have delivered it into the hand of them that do the work, that have oversight of the house of the Lord, that take care of the temple. 
And Shaphat the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath delivered me this book of the law that we haven't been keeping. It was like you hide the Bible away from your family for 40 years and they just discover it one day. And Shaphat read it before the king and it came to pass when king, the king heard the words of the book of the law that he rent his clothes. He began to weep and mourn and say, What have we done? And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam, the son of Shaphan the scribe, and Akbor the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan the scribe, and Ashiah the servant of the king, saying, Go ye, inquire of the Lord for me, and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that is found. This is the law that was given to Moses. And it's just become hidden from the people because of the wicked kings before them. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not hearkened unto the words of this book. They've ignored it. That's what's going on in the churches. They're ignoring the word of God. According to all that is written, so Hilkiah the priest and Achim and Achbor and Shaphan and Ashia went and to hold the, the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, the son of Harhash, keeper of the wardrobe. Now, she dwelt in Jerusalem in a college and they communed with her, and she said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man that sent you to me, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place, upon the inhabitants thereof, even of the words of the book which the king of Judah hath read, because they have forsaken me, and have burned incense unto other gods, unto Baal and the grove, which is the same gods as Christmas. They might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath shall be kindled against this place and shall not be quenched, mainly because of Manasseh. I said, I'm going to bring judgment so whoever hears of it, their ears will tingle. Does his promise about Manasseh hold still? Yes. Even though Josiah is converted and believes God, he said, nevertheless, because of the sins of Manasseh, I promised I will wipe Jerusalem clean like a man who wipes a plate, turning it upside down. But the king of Judah, Josiah, which sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, as touching the words which thou hast heard, because thine heart was tender, Josiah, and thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord when thou heardest what I spake unto this place and against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and has rent thy clothes and wept before me. Josiah was brokenhearted because they were not keeping the words of God's book. I also have heard thee, saith the Lord, Behold, 
Therefore I will gather thee unto thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered in thy grave in peace, and that I shall see all shall not see all the evil which I will bring upon this place, Josiah, because you've humbled yourself. And they brought they brought the king word again. Now, when you get to chapter twenty three you see the greatest revival in the history of Israel. Josiah has a revival like no one has ever seen. Josiah Josiah is a good name. Wanna name one of your kids? great name and the king sent and they gathered unto him all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem this is Josiah and Josiah went up into the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him and the priests and the prophets and all the people both small and great and he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant of Moses law He says, here's what we have forgotten. My father, my grandfather, Manasseh, and I have a great-grandfather, Hezekiah, that believed God. The book of the covenant was found in the house of the Lord, and the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all their heart and with all their soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book and all the people stood to the covenant. This is the law of Moses that they have ignored for two generations and everybody in Israel has forgotten God. Now, this next verse, he's going to go into a revival like you have never heard in your life. And the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest and the priest of the second order and the keepers of the door to bring forth out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels that were made for Baal and for the grove. He's going to clean up Israel. Watch what he does to these images. Don't say, well, I got a Christmas tree and I want to sell it. In a, it's a permanent tree and I'm going to sell it in a garage sale. No, here's what you need to do with it. For the host of heaven, and he burned them outside of Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried the ashes of them unto Bethel. And he put down the idolatrous priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense in the high places in the cities of Judah and in the places round about Jerusalem, them also that burned incense unto Baal, to the sun, to the moon, to the planets, and to the host of heaven. He said, we're going to get rid of all of this. That's like getting rid of all of Christmas and going down and burning all of the Christmas trees on some Christmas tree lot going down to some big Baptist church and dragging the Christmas tree out. And he brought out the grove from the house of the Lord outside of Jerusalem into the brook Kidron and burned it in the brook Kidron and stamped it to small powder. He just said, this is what I think of this God's. Boy, we need to do that, don't we? And cast the powder thereof upon the graves of the children of the people. He's killing off. 
He's killing the priests of Baal. Boy, if we did that, we'd have to go up to these big churches, drag the preacher out and kill him on the parking lot, wouldn't we? (laughs) And he break down the houses of the Sodomites. Do you realize how much that Israel is corrupted at this point? That were by the house of the Lord where the women wove hangings for the grove, for the trees. They wove hangings for the tree goddesses. And he brought all the priests of the cities of Judah and that defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense from Geba to Beersheba and break down the high places of the gates that were in the entering in of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were on man's left and at the gate of the city. Nevertheless, the priest of the high places came not up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem. I guess not. They do. They're going to die. But they did eat of the unleavened bread among their brethren. And Josiah defiled Tophet. You want to read about Tophet? Tophet. If this is Jerusalem, just southeast of Jerusalem was the valley of Tophet where they offered their children. Israel offered their children in the fire to Moloch there. You can read about that in Isaiah the 30th chapter. Isaiah 30. You can read about it in Jeremiah 19. How they went into Tophet. Tophet comes from Toph. Toph means drum. They played their drums so loud they couldn't hear the screams of their children while they were burning them in the fire to Moloch. Moloch was the fire god of northern Jordan or the Ammonites. That's, you'll read about, the Bible says the breath of God kindled the fires of Tophet. There in the 30th chapter which is in the valley of the children of Hinnom. The valley of Hinnom went all across southern, south of Jerusalem. In this, in the eastern end of the valley of Hinnom, Gehenna is what it's called. That's another word for hell. They kept these fires burning continually. And when they kept them burning... On this end, they would dump all the dead bodies and the refuse of criminals. And on this end, they had Tophet, where they were burning their children in the fire. That no man might make his son or his daughter to pass through the fire to Molech. Just a variation of the word Moloch. And he took away the horses that the kings of Judah had given to the son. They had horses dedicated to the sun god. At the entering of the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan Melech, the chamberlain which was in the suburbs, and burned the chariots of the sun with fire. They evidently had some chariots of the sun that were dedicated to the sun god in Jerusalem. Josiah, we're going to clean this up, he says. We're going to get Christmas out of Israel. And the altars that were on the top of the upper chambers of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, 
and the altars which Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Evidently, Manasseh didn't get back there to clean that up. Did the king beat down and break them from thence and cast the dust of them in the brook Kidron? That's on the east side of Jerusalem. You think Josiah's having a revival? What you do is you kill off all the priests of Baal, burn all your idols. And that's when God will fight your battles for you. But he won't fight your battles as long as you're worshiping idols. Your idol, what can your idol be? Idol, idolatry means to serve what you see. Be your car, your house, your kids, your family, your wife, your husband, your money, your stuff, your job. And the high places that were before Jerusalem, there was no revival like this in all of Jerusalem ever. And the high places that were before Jerusalem, which were on the right side, right hand of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, the king of Israel, had builded for Ashtaroth, a generic term for the tree goddesses. That's still left over from Solomon's day. The abomination of the Zidonians, they were worshiping Zidons. Sidon was just north of Israel. That's where Ahab brought in Jezebel's gods from Sidon. You think Josiah's fixing this thing like nobody has ever fixed it? And for Shemosh, the abomination of the Moabites, and for Milcom, the abomination of the children of Ammon. Milcom was another name for Moloch or Malcolm. They all were variations of the sun god. Did King Josiah defile them all? And he broke down the pieces, the images, and cut down the groves, and fill their places with the bones of men. More probably the bones of some of the priests of Baal that he was slaughtering. Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel and the high place which Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. Remember, Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, was the guy that pulled away from southern Judah and said, the people said, we want you to rule northern Israel well when Rehoboam was stopped by the prophet don't you attack Jeroboam this is of God then Jeroboam built a a golden calf and said this is the God that brought you out of Egypt it was to keep the people north and away and he's going to destroy all of that who made Israel to sin had made both that altar and the high place that he break down and burned the high place and stamped it small to powder and burned the grove. You think Josiah is serious? I guess he is. And as Josiah turned himself, he spied the sepulcher that were there in the mount and he sent and took the bones out of the sepulchers and burned them upon the altar and polluted it according to the word of the Lord, which the man of God proclaimed. These words. The man of God he's talking about, the man that had prophesied Josiah by name. In First Kings 13, look at that. Look at this. First Kings 13. But 13 and 1, we're talking about 
334 years before Josiah. We're talking about he's prophesied by name. And this, you think predestination's not true? He was prophesied by his very name in these first two verses. And behold, there came a man of God out of Judah by the word of the Lord. And this man of God, all through this chapter, we don't know what his name is. Josiah is paying homage to this man of God. Unto Bethel and Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. And he cried against the altar because in the previous chapter here, that's where Jeroboam is raising up the golden calf to keep the northern tribes up north. And he says, And he cried against the altar, the word of the Lord, and said, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord, Behold, a child shall be born into the house of David, Josiah by name. 334 years before this chapter over here in the 23rd chapter of Second Kings. You think God's not in charge? He's planned Josiah by name. Upon thee shall he offer the priest of the high places. And he will take these bones of the man of God. When you see the man of God, it's talking about this man here in the 13th chapter of First Kings. Let's go back over and see what Josiah says about him. Then said Josiah, verse 17, What title is that that I see? The men of the city told him, It is the sepulcher of the man of God. This was prophesied 334 years before Josiah. Which came from Judah and proclaimed these things that thou hast done against the altar of Bethel. That's where Bethel was north and that's where Jeroboam was offering sacrifices. And it had retained, been retained there all this time. He said, let him alone, let no man move his bones. So they let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet that came out of Samaria. Now I'm going to skip down here to verse 24. Moreover, the workers with familiar spirits and the wizards and the images and the idols and all abominations that were spied in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem did Josiah put away. Remember, it's been 722 B.C. that northern Israel was carried away captive. This is, this is just before southern Judah is going to be carried away. Josiah put away that he might perform the words of the law which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. And then Josiah gets praised by God in these, this next verse. It says more or less about the same thing that was said about Hezekiah previously. If you remember, Hezekiah, God raised him up in chapter 18 and verse 5. Talking about Hezekiah, his great-grandfather. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like unto him among all the kings of Judah nor any that were before him. 
Then he says a lot the same thing about Josiah in verse 25 of chapter 22. And like unto him, Josiah, was there no king before him that turned, he turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, according to all the law of Moses. Neither after him rose there any like Josiah. I would love for the Lord to say that about me. Notwithstanding, however, the Lord turned not from the fierceness of his great wrath, wherewith his anger was kindled against Judah because of all the provocations that Manasseh had provoked him withal. God says, I promised because of Manasseh's wickedness scatter Israel. I'm going to do that still, regardless of what Josiah's done. And the Lord said, I will remove Judah also out of my sight. I'm going to call the Babylonian king in and let him come in and slaughter Israel by the millions. Carry away most of them into Babylon. I'm going to leave the poor over there in Israel. And as I have removed Israel, northern Israel, he said, I removed them by the Assyrian kings and will cast off this city, Jerusalem, which I have chosen and the house which I said my name will be there. Now, Josiah dies later on in this chapter. And then God begins. And Israel is beginning to go over to Pharaoh Necho looking for safety looking for a protector. But Pharaoh Necho is just a little bitty nobody. He's over here in Egypt. The great king of the world at this time is Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. You can't get away from him. And God told Jeremiah, you tell them, if they run to Egypt for, for safety, you tell them that I'll have a Babylonian soldier chase them down and kill them. Don't go to Egypt. Why? I don't want to get into it. It's too much. But for 70 sabbatical years, they never kept Sabbath. 490 years. So he says, what I'm going to do, I'm going to put you over here in Babylon you can read about this in Jeremiah, the 25th chapter, Jeremiah, the 29th chapter. I'm going to put them over here for 70 years so that the land can enjoy its Sabbaths, and then I'm going to call you back. I told you I would not forsake my covenant with you. I'll visit your transgression with a rod. David said in Psalms 89, but I won't forsake you. He's not going to forsake us, those that he's elected, just like he didn't forsake Manasseh. But he said, I promise because of Manasseh's wickedness to do this. And all the wickedness they did was the same thing that was brought in the church and renamed the Christ Mass. Good grief, preachers. You don't study enough to know that. Now, I'm going to skip chapter 24. That's where chapter 24, you can go back and read it. 
That's where the last kings, Josiah's sons, Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim. This is where Jehoahaz. These are sons of Josiah. They're not righteous. How can a king be righteous? Evidently, they were living at home, being influenced by their mothers. And you got Jehoahaz. He's carried off to Egypt and dies there. He's the son of Josiah. And you have Jehoiakim. And you have Jehoiakim. After Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim becomes the king. Then you had, he's evil. Jehoahaz is evil. And then you have Jehoiakim. J-E-H-O-I-A-C-H-I-N. There's an I-N and a C-H. But this is pronounced Jehoiakim. Then you have the last king of Israel. You'll find him the last king of Israel will be the king of Judah. And you can read that in the 17th verse of the 24th chapter. And the king of Babylon made Mataniah his father's brother king in his stead and changed his name to Zedekiah. Zedekiah is the last king. Now, to read the story about Zedekiah, you're going to have to go to Jeremiah. Jeremiah is the last king, or the last prophet that's prophesying in southern Judah right at the time of their captivity. When, when Nebuchadnezzar is invading the land, Jeremiah is walking through the streets of Jerusalem saying, Judgment's coming! Nebuchadnezzar is on the way! And the people are coming to King Zedekiah and saying, Zedekiah, he is just breaking our hearts and we just don't feel like putting up with his, with his mouth. Can you kill him for us, please? This is the princes of Israel that are saying, kill Jeremiah. This is not foreigners. This is not pagans. It's supposed to be believers. And Jeremiah's telling them the truth. Nebuchadnezzar's on the way. He's got a general. His name is Nebuzaradan. And Nebuzaradan is told by Nebuchadnezzar, when you get over there to the land, Jeremiah tried to warn these people, and they ignored him. You take care of Jeremiah. Tell him that we'll bring him to Babylon and give him land he'll be free he'll be rich he can do whatever he wants he can stay there and we'll give him whatever he wants there because he was an honorable man and Nebuchadnezzar knew that Jeremiah said no I'll just stay here in Israel and you have to understand this when you're reading Jeremiah Jeremiah stays over here in Israel He 
He stays in Israel with the poor. He said, I'll stay with the poor. Because Nebuchadnezzar didn't have any reason to kill the poor. Nebuchadnezzar said, let's take all the workers in metal, the workers in iron, these people that can make weapons, and let's put them in captivity. And the poor are not going to bother anybody. Just leave them there. Well, he, Nebuchadnezzar had come in, leveled the city, burnt the city to the ground, Jerusalem. And when he burnt it to the ground, he plowed it up. This is what they did. They'd plowed up. He pulled all the rocks down of the temple, all the walls down, burned everything, and he plowed it up and strewed it with salt so nothing would grow there. In just a matter of two or three years, it looked like a wasteland in Jerusalem, and Israel was over here in Babylon. You have to keep Jeremiah over here in Israel. And then in, the, in that 24th chapter of Jeremiah, you've got... You've heard me say this. You've heard me say that they had three deportations. To deport something means to carry it away out of the land. Nebuchadnezzar had three deportations. He had one in 605, approximately, B.C., had another one in 597 B.C., and these were peaceful. You can find these deportations in Second Kings, that 24th chapter, Second Kings 24, and it covers these sons, these sons of Josiah. And none of them... The thing is... There has to be a lineage carried on from Judah. All these are kings of Judah. Josiah was from Judah. We're talking about the destruction of Judah. Northern Israel has already been, I already told you about that last week and the week before. They've already been carried away. So these are of Judah. And being from Judah, the peaceful deportations and it's believed that Daniel and Ezekiel were carried to Babylon in this second deportation. And you'll find that in Second Kings, the 24th chapter that I'm not going to cover this morning. Then you had the final total destruction of Jerusalem. That comes about in 586 B.C. When Ezekiel was in Babylon, he was having visions of what was going on over here in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is, Babylon is on the Euphrates River. Here's Babel. It's about 600 miles over here to Jerusalem. They couldn't go across this desert because that's all desert. This is the Arabian Desert. So always they had to come north and come into Israel from the north. So this is this is about 600, 650 miles away from Jerusalem. So when you read Ezekiel, he's, he's prophesying what will happen, and it happens exactly the way he says. What will happen 
And Daniel's prophesying according to the the will of God, according to the... He tells you all about the beasts that come in in Daniel 7, the lion, the bear, and the leopard. Tells you who they are in Daniel 8. And Ezekiel's telling you about things that are going to happen to Israel. And Jeremiah's over here in Israel, and they're 600 and so miles away over here. Now, now what I want to do, I want to go into Israel's demise. The end of their life is in Second Kings. 25. Northern Israel has been carried away in the 17th chapter by the Assyrians. I've told you about that last week. 2 Kings 7, well actually 15 through 17. That's where the that's where the Assyrians carry northern Israel away. So this is that was in 722 and when you go into their carrying, being carried away that's in Second Kings twenty-five, and and Second Chronicles account of this is in Second Chronicles thirty-six. But you've also got Jeremiah's account. Jeremiah's account would be over anywhere from the thirty-eighth to the forty-first chapter of Jeremiah. I'll tell you what. Let's do. Let's look at some of that. Go to Jeremiah. Flip over there. He's the guy that's walking through the streets of Jerusalem while these kings are on their thrones. He prophesied for 40 years. Jeremiah prophesied from around 626. 626 B.C. I got 626 B.C to 586 B.C. So he's walking through the streets through all of the captivities. He's watching it happen. And these kings all know about it. And while, while, while these kings, they all know about Jeremiah, he's walking through the streets. Let's go over to Jeremiah. I don't know how else to do this than to read it to you and explain it as we're going through it. How much time do I have, Mike? 26. How much? 26. Let's see if we can cover some of this. You got to... Every one of these kings had a prophet. When you're reading Isaiah, he's prophesying to northern Israel. He was prophesying in southern Judah, but he prophesied to northern Israel, and he prophesied to Judah as well. Because he was a dear friend of Hezekiah. Now, let's read here. Let me see what I want to read to you. This is the end of... Let's get look in the 38th chapter and the princes of Israel getting fed up with Jeremiah going through the streets saying Nebuchadnezzar's coming. He's coming to scatter them because of their going after Christmas. Christ mass, the bell in the grove. Look here in verse 4. Therefore the princes said unto King Zedekiah, We beseech thee, let this man be put to death. 
these are the princes of Israel, not pagans. These are supposed to be believers. For thus he wiggeneth the hands of the men of war that remain in this city and the hands of the people and speaking such words unto them saying Nebuchadnezzar is going to come here and carry us away. Well he is. For this man seeketh not the welfare of this people but their hurt. And Zedekiah said Behold he is in your hand for the king is not the king is not he that can do anything against you. Then they took Jeremiah, cast him into a dungeon of Malchiah, the son of Hamalek, that was in the court of the prison. And they let down Jeremiah with cords. And in the dungeon there was no water but mire. So Jeremiah sunk into the mire. Some say the mire was human waste and urine. And I had this fellow paint that picture on the back there. Jeremiah hanging in the mire. That's what he passed away, but he painted that picture. And under that, I've got a little something said under there. said, this is the beginning of Christianity when you're hanging in the mire. So he sunk in the mire. And Jeremiah hears the message of the Lord coming. And I can't read all of this and get through it. Uh, maybe read a little bit of it. But these next two chapters tell you all about Nebuchadnezzar coming in. He is on his high horse with his commander-in-chief Nebuchadnezzar and he's told Nebuchadnezzar kill those people if they won't come peaceably and when they carried him away they tied their hands behind their back stripped them naked and walked them 600 650 miles said okay let's go they had nothing when Nebuchadnezzar come in they destroyed the city they took them to Babylon naked and if they could find a rock to set out on, they were fortunate. They didn't have nothing, no word of God, no Ark of the Covenant, no nothing. It was a sad time. When you read the book of Lamentations, that is written by Jeremiah, and that is written after God has carried him away. That's one of the saddest books in the Bible because God is telling you how Jeremiah is lamenting Israel having been carried away and all the dead that are there. Now, I want to go to chapter 40 and tell you about this Nebuchadnezzar. Chapter 40, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord after that Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard of Nebuchadnezzar, let him go from Ramah when he had taken him, being bound in change among all them that, carried, that were carried away captive of Jerusalem and Judah, which were carried away captive into Babylon, the captain of the guard took Jeremiah and said unto him, This is amazing words that Nebuchadnezzar is saying. The Lord thy God hath pronounced this evil upon this place. Those were words for Nebuchadnezzar's commanding general. said, It is your God that brought this. 
Now the Lord hath brought it and done according as he hath said. That's still Nebuchadnezzar's voice. Because you have sinned against the Lord. How does he know about things like that? That's amazing, isn't it? And have not obeyed his voice. Is that of any concern to Nebuchadnezzar? I don't know. Therefore this thing has come upon you. And now behold. I'm loosing you today. Because Nebuchadnezzar told me to see to your good. Jeremiah. I loose thee this day from the chains which were upon thine hand. If it seemed good unto thee. Come with me to Babylon. We'll give you everything you want. Come. I will look well unto thee. I'm going to take care of you because my boss told me to. Because you were honest with this people and they would not hear. And if it seem ill unto thee to come with me into Babylon, behold, all the land is before thee. We'll give you what you want here. <laughs> Boy, this is some kind of reward, isn't it? Whether it cometh good, whether it seemeth good and convenient for thee to go, thither to go, if you want to stay here, you can stay here. We'll take care of you if you go to Babylon. While he was not yet gone back, he said, Go back and go back also unto Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, whom the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, has made this Gedaliah, to be governor over this area here. Gedaliah's got some interesting things I'm not going to go into. Over the cities of Judah and dwell with him among the people or go wherever it seemeth convenient unto thee to go. Whatever you want to do, we're giving you the freedom to do it. That's Jeremiah's reward for being faithful to God all the time he was faithful. So the captain of the guard gave him food, victuals, and a reward and let him go. Then went Jeremiah unto Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, to Metzpah, and dwelt with him among the people that were left in the land, just the poor. You can read that in the 24th chapter of Second Kings. The poor were left there. And when all the captains of the forces and were fields, even they and their men heard that the king of Babylon had made Gedaliah the son of Ahikam governor in the land had committed unto him men, women, and children and the poor of the land of them that were not carried away captive to Babylon. And it goes on into Gedaliah and the people get jealous of him and they kill him. Now, I just wanted to introduce you to Jeremiah's picture. You can read from beginning of Jeremiah all the way up to this point. Jeremiah's, this part right here, coincides with the end of Babylon, uh, with the end of Israel. Now let's go back over here to Second Kings, the 25th chapter. We're going to see this is the end of of Israel in the Old Testament. All the prophets that come after this are prophesying what Israel had done and putting them down for that. Now let's go back over to 2 Kings 
always love reading this. This is about the end of Israel as a nation in the Old Testament. And what happens here, you have to understand, this has to do with what's going on in Israel today. The Bible says that they shall fall by the edge of the sword, Luke 21, 24. The Jews will fall by the edge of the sword. That is talking directly about this about this 36th and 25th chapter and everything that goes on with Israel all the time they're a nation uh, they're not a nation they're scattered for 2600 years as of this right here these are two different accounts and they read much the same way 25th chapter of 2 Kings, 36th chapter of 2 Chronicles, until May 14th, 1948. And particularly to the Six-Day War, June 5th through June 10th, 1967. That's where, this is where, that the Jews throughout the Jordanians out of Jerusalem and when they threw them out they possessed Jerusalem for the first time since Nebuchadnezzar carried them away in these chapters this has to do with the end of time the Bible says this generation shall not pass away till all things are fulfilled. They, the Jews, will fall by the edge of the sword and they'll be, the sword will rule over them from this time until the Six-Day War of 1967. And concerning this, the Bible says this generation will not pass away till everything's fulfilled. There'll be sword, the famine, the pestilence, and then the beast will rule at the end. We've got the sword right now with Al-Qaeda and ISIS and all these terrorists. We've got men turning against men, shooting each other in America, poisoning people. Uh, we've got the pestilence, this latest virus, the coronavirus. It's a worldwide pestilence. It's causing a worldwide famine. This is just the beginning of sorrows. It's just the beginning. And everything that God did to Israel was because they went after something that we call Christmas. And that's the reason all this is going on in the Middle East. That's the reason the World Trade Center came down. Because they believe we've stolen the land that belongs to the Arabs. When we put our approval upon Israel becoming a nation, May 14, 1948, when Harry Truman pressured the world to declare them a nation, what we're looking at is the end of time. And all I'm doing is teaching you out of the Old Testament what has brought all this about. Let's look at the 25th chapter of Second Kings. Do I have any time, Mike? 13. Let's read as far as we can in this. 
25th chapter. And it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, talking about Zedekiah, that pansy king that didn't have any guts that hung Jeremiah in the mire. In the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, in the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came, he and all his host, against Jerusalem. The end is here, Jerusalem. And pitched against it, and they built forts against it, round about. They're going to have a siege and cut Jerusalem off from all food and all water. And they'll start eating their children like God promised them to do. And the city was besieged in the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. This is the end of Israel as a nation in the Old Testament. And on the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine prevailed in the city. Why? They put a siege against it. They blocked off all the roads. No food could come in. They stopped any of the aqueducts of water coming in. They're going to starve Israel. That's what they did back then. They didn't even have to use their weapons. They just starved them. And the famine prevailed and there was no bread for the people in the land. And the city was broken up. And all the men of war fled by the night, by the way of the gate between two walls, which was by the king's garden. And now the Chaldees, the Babylonians, were against the city round about. And the king, Nebuchadnezzar, went the way toward the plain. No, that's not the king, Nebuchadnezzar. That's the king, Josiah, is running from these soldiers. And the army of the Chaldees, Chaldee was another name for Babylon, pursued after the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. He's running away from Jerusalem and he's going north up here to Jericho. And all of his army was scattered from him. Zedekiah has no protection. And they slew the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes and put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him with fetters of brass and carried him off to Babylon. It's one of the sad, sad times of history. Can you imagine? They bring him for Nebuchadnezzar and he says, punch his eyes out. He has been rebellious. So they punch his eyes out. But before... They do. They kill his sons. They kill his sons while he's watching. Then they punch his eyes out, bind him, and carry him off to Babylon. All because they went after Baal and the grove or the Christ mass system. And you think God wants us to do that? And in the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, which is the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came Nebuchadnezzar, captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon unto Jerusalem. We read about him in Jeremiah. And he burnt the house of the Lord. He burnt the temple. That's what the house of the Lord is. And the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem and every great man's house burnt he with fire. It looks like some great big 
devastation, fire in the distance. And all the army of the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, that were with the captain of the guard or Nebuchadnezzar, break down the walls of Jerusalem round about. They're destroying Jerusalem. They have never been destroyed before, not like this. Now the rest of the people that were left in the city and the fugitives that fell away to the king of Babylon with the remnant of the multitude did Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, carry away. I introduced you to Nebuchadnezzar and Jeremiah. You need to read about him wherever you can. But the captain of the guard, Nebuchadnezzar, left the poor. And Jeremiah said, I'll stay here with the poor. They need me. He had an opportunity to have land and Babylon and what, everything he wanted. He said, what I want is to take care of the poor and the needy. And, be a, and to be vine dressers and husbandmen. And the pillars of the brass that were in the house of the Lord. And the bases and the brazen sea. That sea that I've got the picture of there. That was in the house of the Lord. Did the Chaldees break in pieces and carried the brass of them to Babylon. Had no place for the priests to wash, and the priests weren't serving God anyway. And the pots and the shovels and the snuffers and the spoons and all the vessels of brass, wherewith they, they ministered, took their way, and the fire pans and the bowls. They're naming all this so they can let you know they're leaving nothing in Jerusalem. Anything that has any value at all, they're carrying away. And such things as were gold and silver, gold and, the, and gold and silver and silver, the captain of the guard, Nebuchadnezzar, took away. And the two pillars, one sea, and the bases which Solomon had made for the house of the Lord, the brass of all these vessels was without weight. And the height of the one pillar was 18 cubits. A cubit was about a foot and a half. So that was half again of 18, 9, 27 feet high. And the chapter upon it was brass and the height of the chapter, three cubits and so forth. It goes through all of this. And you get to the end. And Nebuchadnezzar's carrying him away. And we've got one other place where he's, it shows he's carrying him away in Second Chronicles 36. Second Chronicles 36 is not as descriptive as Second Kings 25, but it tells what he did. Do I have any time, Mike? Six. I'll read as much as I can. Verse 16. God sent his messengers to Israel. These were the prophets. Verse 16, chapter 36. But they mocked the messengers of God and despised his words and misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people Israel till there was no remedy. No remedy is the word marpe. means no cure. Has the same basic meaning as Luke 21, 25 there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and the earth and the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, aporia, no answer. 
Marpe, no way out, no cure. There is no cure for all these judgments that's coming upon America. If it's not coronavirus, it'll be something else. If it's not famine this way, it'll be famine some other way. We're headed toward the end, folks. Therefore, he brought upon them the king of the Chaldees, that's Nebuchadnezzar. Chaldee is another name for Babylon, who slew the young men in Israel with the sword inside the house of their sanctuary. He went inside the house. You got the temple here and anybody that's hiding inside, he went in there and killed them. And he had no compassion of on young man or maiden, old man or him that stooped for age. He gave them all into the hand of the king of Babylon. And all the vessels of the house of God. He described it in the 25th chapter of 2 Kings. Great and small, the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king and his princes and all those he brought to Babylon. So you're going to stay there 70 years. And they burnt the house of God. They burnt down the temple. Solomon's temple. And break down the wall of Jerusalem. And burn all the places thereof with fire. And destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof. And them that had escaped from the sword of Nebuchadnezzar. Carried he away to Babylon if you would submit and go to Babylon you're going to be there for 70 years and then I'm going to have the temple rebuilt and have you brought back but they didn't come back where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the king of Persia this was all to do one thing verse 21 to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill three score and ten years. A score is 23, score is 60, plus 10 is 70 years. You're going to fulfill those sabbatical years, one right after the other in Babylon. Then I'm going to call you back. He hadn't forsaken them. He had to get them out of the land because they wouldn't leave the land alone. So what they did, they went after other gods that didn't require sabbatical years. That's what they did. And then when you go from verse 21 to 22, you jump from 586 B.C. to 539 B.C. Was it 539 you see, 40, 46, 47, about 47 years you jump from one verse to the next because it says then. Now in the first year of the Cyrus king of Persia, Cyrus overthrows Babylon in 539. In the first year, which is 538, he gives the decree to fulfill 70 weeks 70 years in Babylon. And if they don't listen to that, he's going to measure out the 70 years 
70 times 7. That's the 70 weeks of Daniel. And that will be the time period that he's going to take to bring God's Israel, which would be not just Jews, but it would be Jews of the heart. Bring them back. I've been meaning, I wanted to go further in. Do I have any time? One minute? Yeah. One. Don't have any time to do much. Uh, I wanted to cover this more thoroughly than I did, but I felt like the way for you to understand it was for me to read it to you and explain it while it's happening. These two chapters, 36 chapters, 2 Chronicles, that is Israel's end in the Old Testament. Then you get into the reign of these various nations. You get into Babylon. Then Persia overthrows Babylon. Then Greece overthrows Persia. And then Rome is ruling in the time of Jesus. People say, well, what about in the time of Jesus? The judgment wasn't there. Rome was the judgment of God. They were killing Christians right and left. What I want to do, I want to continue this study and go into... uh, God blinding the eyes of the Jews and extending the gospel to the Gentiles. And that's the church. Not to everybody. His church is his wife, his bride. He blinds the Jews' eyes. He blinds their eyes and opens the eyes of the Gentile church in Acts 2. To the end of time. I believe we're right sitting right on the verge. I've said this for several years. I don't see how we can be sitting anywhere but close to eternity. Especially with that verse that the Jews will fall by the edge of the sword. They'll be led away captive in all nations. And they shall be trodden down to the Gentiles until... Until means there's a time for the Gentile rule over the Jews. Until the Gentile rule over Israel is fulfilled. And that stopped. And the Six-Day War of 1967. They're not ruling. The church is Israel. We're circumcised of the heart. The Jews won't go to heaven because they're Jews. They have to join us in the true Israel and believing in Jesus. No man comes to the Father but by me, Jesus said. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Thank you for letting us see this story of Israel's end and that you're going to raise up your people here at the end of time. Fight our battles, lead us to your elect. We'll praise you for everything. In Christ's name, amen.